Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. More public support for striking auto workers. SAG AFTRA members back at the bargaining table. How about this? Another labor law violation at Starbucks. And today on the show, the Ohio AFL CIO, and we pay tribute to the late Tom Conway, president of the United Steelworkers. Welcome to the Tuesday, October 3rd edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Timothy Berga will be our first guest on the show today. He serves as president of the Ohio AFL-CIO. And a couple things he's going to talk about. It is uh, election time right around the corner. State issue one, which would enshrine reproductive rights into the Ohio Constitution, has the support of many in labor, including the Ohio AFL-CIO, and it's kind of confusing, too, because there was a vote no on issue one in August. Now it's a vote yes on issue one. Tim will talk about that. Also, apparently we're seeing some progress in the trying to get fair maps in the state of Ohio, and apparently the Ohio Attorney General has approved the first step in getting what they call citizens, not politicians, involved in redistricting and uh, there's been a couple of stories about this but this essentially would create a 15-member commission five democrats five republicans five independents that will pretty much come up with new maps this won't happen right away this would be on the ballot in november of 2024 and lastly since tim comes from uh, a steelworker family He's going to share some comments on uh, Tom Conway, international president of the United Steelworkers Union, who died suddenly last Monday at the age of 71. And uh, Tim is going to talk about the importance of, uh, of the steelworkers, especially in the state of Ohio, and the fact that Dave McCall is now taking over uh, as uh, president of the steelworkers, and Dave has many roots in the state of Ohio. So he'll be reflecting on that. And what we're going to do on the show today, our producers at uh, BMA Media decided to look back at some of the interviews that I did with Tom over the past couple of years. And we pulled some good ones here, one going back to uh, July of 2020, talking about labor history, the importance of knowing our labor history. And he reflected on the Homestead Steel Strike back in the 1890s. We talked about infrastructure. We talked about President Biden being so pro-union. And there was also a segment where uh, Tom nominated Fred Redman to be secretary treasurer of the AFL-CIO. Fred, too. I mean, 50-year history with the steelworkers. Those two are really, really close. So in tribute to Tom, who's being laid to rest today in Pittsburgh, we decided to do that in his honor. And uh, there's a lot that the steelworkers are doing, too. In fact, there's a YouTube channel that they set up. They're streaming those services today. And the YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash steelworkers. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. The segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. According to a new poll, 
Nearly four out of five Americans support the UAW over the big three automakers in the ongoing stand-up strike. Across partisan and demographic lines, a supermajority of Americans are standing with the UAW in the union's fight against corporate greed. The poll conducted by Navigator Research suggests that support for UAW members has increased, has increased since the strike started. Now, a Gallup poll conducted in August showed 75% of the public sided with the union. Now, the new poll finds that 78% of Americans support the UAW. That includes registered Republicans who back the union 69% to 31% over the big three. That's Republicans. African-American and Asian-American respondents show the strongest support for the strikers with 85% of each group backing the union. White Americans also overwhelmingly side with the union with 75% supporting the workers. The Navigator Research Poll also highlights the public's overwhelming support for collective bargaining and the right to strike, including 74% of Republican voters. Now, the UAW stand-up strike is the new approach in striking. Instead of striking all plants all at once, select locals have been called on to stand up and walk out on strike. If the automakers fail to make progress in talks, more locals are called up to stand up and strike. The strike began with walkouts at three assembly plants in three states. The strike has since expanded to five assembly plants and 38 parts distribution facilities in 21 states across the country. Currently, 25,000 UAW members are on strike at Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. On Friday, Unite Here Local 11 announced that it has reached a tentative agreement with one Los Angeles area hotel. The union represents hotel workers throughout Southern California and has been engaging in sporadic strikes at dozens of hotels since July. In a statement, the union said the agreement will give the hotel's 300 workers unprecedented wage increases that keep pace with the soaring cost of housing. That agreement also improves health care, addresses employee staffing concerns, improves pension benefits, and establishes a hiring process that is more inclusive toward formerly incarcerated individuals and undocumented immigrants. Finally, SAG-AFTRA resuming contract negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and television producers. They did that yesterday. The parties announced the resume talks one day after industry writers ended their strike with a new tentative agreement, which, by the way, is being voted on this week. And one more here. A NLRB judge held that Starbucks violated labor law. How? By increasing wages and benefits solely for employees in non-unionized stores. The law judge directed Starbucks to compensate numerous unionized workers for denied wages and benefits. The judge held that Starbucks' decision to grant increases only to non-unionized stores was aimed to dissuade union organizing. The judge found evidence of unlawful motive in the timing of the wage and benefit increases and the CEO's awkward effort to explain the increases to shareholders. The non-answers were answer enough, according to the judge. Now, while Starbucks has 
been found to violate the National Labor Relations Act more than a dozen times. This ruling represents the first time the coffee chain has been found guilty of breaking the law on a national scale. How about that? All right, we're going to take a quick break. Tim Berga on behalf of the Ohio AFL-CIO coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at CWA-Union.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, where you can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to Columbus, Ohio right now. Welcome one of our longtime regulars, and that would be Timothy Berger, president of the Ohio AFL-CIO, getting ready for another election. Well, we had the August election, which was a vote no on issue one. Now it's a vote yes. A little bit of confusion there, but I think that is by design. Timothy Berger, welcome back to the show. Let, let's start off with uh, state issue one. I saw this on your uh, homepage. I'm going to let you pick it up from there, brother. Go ahead. Yeah, state issue one is regarding uh, reproductive rights in the state of Ohio. Our executive board last Friday endorsed state issue one, so we're seeking a yes vote on state issue one. And the board was very clear that, you know, our abortion laws uh, in this state are the most extreme in the country. Not only do they put women at risk, you know, the studies are clear that they show these extreme abortion bans like this are economically dispowering for women and uh, working families in our communities. So we also recognize how, you know, extremely personal the issue of abortion is. And we believe these decisions are best left to the women, our doctors and our families, not the government, not politicians. So this extreme abortion ban, you know, the out of touch legislature, they just don't seem to want to listen to the constituents. And there's no exceptions for rape or incest or protection for the life of the mother. We think that's wrong for Ohio's future. So that's where we're at on the issue, uh, Flash. Uh, so, yes, on state issue one. 
Let me ask you this. The fact that we had the election in August, which cost taxpayers almost $20 million, it was a, a vote no on issue one. How is that going to play into uh, into this in uh, November, Tim, in your opinion? Well, it's a bit confusing that you had a, you had a state issue one in August. Now you've got a state issue one in November. They probably should have made it sequential numbering. It should, probably should have been state issue two, but... Um, you know, the, the many saw the August 8th special election as a proxy on our, you know, abortion, uh, extreme abortion bans here in the state of Ohio. So um, I think you'll have an electorate that's aware of what's going on, but it is confusing. So um, we need to make sure that um, Ohioans are aware of what the issue is. We'll make sure that trade unionists are aware of what the issue is. We also recognize it's an extremely personal issue. Um, but we feel very strongly that these decisions on reproductive care and contraception are best left to uh, our families and our doctors and not politicians. So yeah. um, we're, we're going to be, you know, doing our level best um, to make sure that people understand what this is. Keep the government out of it. I get it. Okay. Now, what's the going on with redistricting here? Because this has been a hot potato for the last couple of years. I remember last year you and I were talking about trying to figure out who's going to be where, who's what district somebody's going to be in. And a lot of the candidates were unaware. Have we have we come to some resolve on this now, Tim? Well, we haven't. Uh, it's still an unsettled question. The state legislative and the congressional maps that, you know, we voted on last year were ruled unconstitutional by a Republican-led um, Supreme, Ohio Supreme Court seven times. So it's still up in the air. And the problem is that, you know, the politicians really shouldn't be selecting who their voters are. So finally, the Ohio Attorney General has approved a summary petition by a group called Citizens Not Politicians to go to the ballot Next year is what their plans are to take this power away from our politicians and put it in the hands of an independent commission. This would be a 15-member Ohio Citizens Redistricting Commission made up equally of Democrats, Republicans, and, and independents, and, you know, voters not affiliated with the party. And, you know, get to the business of creating fair districts uh, so we can have some balance in this state. And we're not governed by such extreme politicians. There's no reason why one party should have, let's say, a six-point statewide advantage, uh, a partisan advantage, based on the last 10 years of data. But yet they have a 38% or even a 40% advantage in controlling the delegations in the state legislature or the congressional delegation. So it's simply about rebalancing the state and removing this extremism and taking this map making for our legislative districts out of the hands of politicians and putting it in independent commissions. Uh, they'll be out there getting signatures uh, here very soon, and we're going to help in that effort. So you, you mentioned the Ohio Attorney General. Uh, are you saying he kind of paved the way for this to happen then? Well, there's a multi-step process to go to the ballot for a constitutional amendment, which is what this would be. The first thing you have to do is submit a summary petition with a thousand good signatures of registered voters saying uh, fairly and accurately and truthfully describing what you're seeking to take to the ballot. And the attorney general had rejected it twice and 
on some technicalities and, and so the third time's the charm, I guess. So they've been approved. Now the language goes to the Ohio ballot board to decide, you know, if it meets the single subject rule. Um, and at that point, um, you know, the, the citizens, not politicians group can go out and collect signatures. So mm-hmm. you've got another, you know, um, maybe 15, two weeks to, for the ballot board to meet and make that decision. So, um, again, uh, then you've got to go out and collect all these signatures. And that's what the August 8th special election was about, was about how you go about getting a citizen-led constitutional amendment to the ballot and then simply having a simple majority pass it as it's been mm-hmm. for the last 111 years. We kept that in place. So that's the law. So it's be somewhere around 400,000 valid signatures of registered voters in half of Ohio's 88 counties in order to get this on the ballot next November. So that's kind of where we're at, and we're excited about the possibility of maybe finally uh, taking this this massive political problem uh, and putting it in the hands of an independent commission. Yeah, and that's the important part. We need an independent commission. Now, the voters, and you and I talked about this in previous shows, the voters went to the polls, what was it, in 2015, and then I think in 2017, because they were upset with what's going on with uh, with gerrymandering. But apparently the, the people that worked on that commission was stacked with <laughs> one political party that didn't want to change things because they like to remain in power. So I, I, I get it. So that, that's a good uh, a good thing that may happen here. Yes, yeah, citizens, not politicians. Again, we're talking 15 members, five Democrats, five Republicans and five independents. All right. We'll see what happens here. All right, one more thing here, Tim. As you know, Tom Conway, international president of the United Steelworkers, passed away last week. He was uh, just 71, and uh, it shocked a lot of people, including myself, and you too, because uh, you come from a steelworkers family. And I really really like the post you have on your website, Rest in Power, Brother Conway. What we're going to do here on America's Workforce after the commercial break is uh, play a couple of segments that uh, Tom and I did here on America's Workforce in the last couple of years. But I'd like to hear from you, Timothy Berga, on uh, on the impact of Tom Conway. Go ahead. Well, there was nobody that understood the steel industry and how to negotiate national steel deals that helped working people better than Tom Conway. And he was just a first-class labor leader and stood up for uh, not just his members, which he did very effectively across the country, but stood up for labor principles uh, for for all unions and all working people. And, uh, you know, as great of a labor leader as he was, and he certainly was, uh, is even a better person. So we're going to miss him dearly. Um, I know the memorial service is today. And uh, Dave McCall uh, has now been uh, put in as president of the United Steelworkers, uh, their inter- international union. And, and President McCall uh, comes from Ohio, you know, Cleveland, McCall Hall up there in Cleveland, up at the Cleveland mm-hmm. Clips, uh, representing those workers there. Uh, he knows the steel industry uh, as well as Tom did, and, uh, and it's just a great, great person. And under very sad circumstances, we're fortunate to have uh, Brother McCall stepping in. I got a statement here from uh, Dave McCall. We're all mourning a great loss, but even in our sadness, our union is strong. Thanks in large part to Tom's leadership and vision. Now 
will move forward the only way we can together. Together, we'll honor Tom's legacy as together we fight for justice and fairness for working families. Dave McCall, now president of the United Steelworkers. All right, Tim, thank you so much. Uh, you take care. We'll, we'll talk to you next month. Okay, brother? Thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And as I indicated, a tribute to Tom Conway coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers, and you can find more at oh.aft.org. This is a pretty sad day. Tom Conway, president of the United Steelworkers, being laid to rest. He passed away at the age of 71 on September 25th. I got the call from Pat Gallagher, who we've uh, featured on the show for many, many years. He and Pat were very, very close. So what we decided to do here at America's Workforce, in his honor, play a couple of segments of Tom over the years. We went back to a 2020. This is a segment where uh, Tom talked about the importance of knowing labor history and the way he uh, would use the homestead strike. And there's a lot of information posted on the Internet about the homestead strike and how he would use that to teach new members about the history of the steelworkers. Let's listen. Part of the history of, of labor unions in America, Homestead sort of stands out that way. Um, and particularly in the steelworker union, uh, going back to the early days of the Homestead strike and the, and the Pinkertons and what went on there and, and sort of this magnificent um, industrial complex at the time in terms of its sheer size and what it could do 
Um, and to see it now, there's a shopping mall on the site of the Homestead Mill, and there's an old pump house where this battle of Homestead took place between the workforce and the community and the Pinkertons and the company. And so, you know, we use it as a historical um, reference point. And, and when we bring steelworkers in from around the country uh, and run them in our education programs, and, and we have a sort of a four-year scholarship program, um, one of the, in, in the first year, one of the places we take them is to that pump house and to that setting and mm-hmm. and have them understand and reflect on what Homestead meant. You know, we have a sort of a thriving next generation program we're running throughout the year. So I, people, I think young people do sort of get it and they're, they're both respectful of it and understand it in its context and in its time. But I think what's more chilling for them in some ways is that the events of Homestead and what was going on and what and what was underneath it and the, and the employer's sort of approach to the workforce is not much different than what you see in a lot of places today. And so with the steady decline of the density rate, of private unions or in, in the in the private sector and employers sort of opportunistic approach to that. The same as you'll see it during this COVID period and this sense of well, we're going to let no crisis go without exploiting it somehow. Um, I think they recognize may have been very different times and very different years and a hundred years between us. But things are not that different. And so the need to to do things collectively and to work together and to form and build unions is still as essential as ever. And, and I think when, when you help them understand the context of the labor movement um, in today's terms, it, it's eye-opening for them. I think there's a lot of value for them when they go and visit this site. And this next segment is from 2021, actually two parts. One was in January and one in February, where Tom talked about the importance of investing in our infrastructure. You're going to find yourself with very heavy costs later. And that's what's going on with our infrastructure. It's aged. It needs replacing. I'm going to give you a number that is staggering. And every time I hear it and say it, it just is for me is unbelievable. But the United States, in our water systems, in all the water systems that run beneath our ground, we leak seven billion gallons of fresh water a day because the piping systems are so old. And in some places, they're still made of wood. When pipes were made of wooden staved barrels, and we just flood out all this clean, potable water that leaks. And so when you think of infrastructure, it's not just blacktop the highway or bridges. And while our bridges are in deplorable condition, it's our locks and our dams. It's our electrical grid supply system. It, it just covers a host of so many things, a broadband, just updating the United States so that our equipment is state-of-the-art. And so 
where we have buildings that sort of just leak um, energy and 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 federal buildings and state buildings and schools, that rebuilding needs to take place. And for every for every one billion dollars invested in infrastructure, there's about eighteen to twenty thousand jobs that are created, and these jobs bring with them skills. And longevity. I mean, this is a long project. It will take some number of years to begin to get this going. But that's how you drive an economy. You don't drive it through financial engineering, and you don't drive it through developing algorithms and banking systems. You do it by building things and creating things. And and an investment in the U.S.'s infrastructure will return all those things. It'll solidify a tax base. It'll help communities have a tax base to grow and thrive. It'll create good payrolls in townships that need it so badly. And it'll offer skills and an opportunity to a group of young people who are struggling, trying to find their way forward, and what what field do they go into? So it needs skills skilled tradespeople, it needs engineers, it needs planners. There's there's a whole host of skills that America gains by making a, a sizable investment in our infrastructure needs. Well, look, ours is a diverse union. The name Steelworkers could sort of could make you think that that's all we're doing is making steel, but the truth is for all the products that are going to go into infrastructure, um, it's in our union in one place or another, whether it's copper mining or iron ore mining or steel or aluminum production, um, even sort of tire and rubber production. And and, so, and it runs across the gamut. So what I really was wanting to do was, was take an inventory of all the products that the union is making and have our local union folks get with their plant managers or their counterparts and and impress upon people what products they're making, how they can be used, the value of that company in that local union in that community, how much their payroll is worth, and what infrastructure means to them locally. And then we're going to send... You know, all of those into the White House and make sure that this White House understands that this is a Main Street issue. This isn't something that that um, needs to not be consulted with people in communities across the country. And that there's a lot of communities um, where stuff is being made in a lot of communities where it's not, where we can go in there and rebuild communities. You know, we hear about you know, the American Society of Civil Engineers issues a report card, and they have one coming out here soon. And we hear that our bridge conditions are a D. But every other major infrastructure system that we have are also in that sort of failing category. So, I mean, it's been so long since we've made an investment and made our systems efficient and 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 did it with the products that we can make. So our transportation systems need upgrade. Um, there's just 
a tremendous amount of work that will put people back to work in really good paying jobs over a long period, sustained period of time, will generate a tax base and a tax revenue, provide skills and training for people. I mean, these are high tech jobs too. And and when we Mm -hmm. build the manufacturing supply chain to support all that infrastructure work, we can put a lot of, a lot of people back to work in, in good work. And so, you know, look, we, we're faced, we're at a crossroads here. If, if America doesn't make this investment in itself, it's just going to continue to be sort of on a decline and depend upon other nations who make this stuff and ship it in here. And, and the ability to have a good foundation of making our own materials, adding value to them and adding, um, and adding growth potential is we, we really stand to lose a lot if we don't do this right. I think as you build efficiencies in, as you make this investment, as people go to work on a long-term basis and you do it on a series of jobs where they're good family-sustaining incomes and they can generate a tax base that remains up there and and significant that this debt will pay itself off over time Mm but you know if you don't if you don't spend money you can't make money and you can't constantly kick this can down the road and so look no politician wants to go out there and say to their constituents i've got to raise taxes or we've got to talk about generating more money in order to solve this problem but it's going to take some courage to do that And this is a bipartisan issue. I mean, if you think of states like Pennsylvania, Indiana, Ohio, Arkansas, the Carolinas, nine out of ten of those states have Republican senators. But also nine out of ten of those senators have industries in there such as steel and aluminum that are crucial to the infrastructure rebuild here. So, you know, if they want to play politics with this it's their own citizenry who they're going to be walking past again so this this really ought to be not a democratic or a republican issue this this really is about investing in the nation and it needs to be done in a bipartisan way with support from both sides of the aisle and i think there is support out there for that i think um i think politicians on both sides of this understand We've got to make this investment. I mean, if we're going to make an investment in our own country, we have to make an investment in our own people and our own jobs. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. I mean, there's there's nothing inherently wrong with saying we're going to make sure that the products that we are going to use are made here. And and if there's an overspill or, or we can't meet that demand, fine. But But factories ought to be being built here not somewhere in Asia, to supply a market here. And, you know, 87% of the country understands this. This is just inherently common sense to them across the Midwest, across the entire nation. Again, that segment was from February of 2021. Tom Conway being laid to rest today in Pittsburgh. What we're going to do right now is take a quick break. When I come back, there's an op-ed that really touched me 
that Tom wrote not long ago about the importance of a first contract and more clips from previous interviews right here on America's Workforce. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Today, we're doing a special tribute to the late Tom Conway, who passed away at the age of 71 last week. Tom, for four years, was president of the United Steelworkers. Great supporter of America's workforce and also a great writer. This was an op-ed that he wrote not long ago about the importance of a first contract. Listen to this. James Golden knew the crowbar wasn't the right tool for the job, but it's what the bosses provided when he needed to perform work on a piece of equipment at the Como Tire Plant. This is in Mason, Georgia. Well, the crowbar slipped from Golden's hand and smacked him in the head. Bleeding, yet unable to find adequate help on the sparsely staffed night shift, Golden drove himself to the hospital while a supervisor agonized over whether to fill out paperwork about the injury or try to get the machine operating once more. While the memory of that night still infuriates him, Golden takes comfort knowing that he and his 325 co-workers now have the power to protect themselves, look out for one another, and hold management accountable. Along with wage increases, better work-life balance, and other wins, the workers gained a real voice on the job when they ratify their first contract with Como as members of the United Steelworkers. Well, the contract establishes a Labor Management Workplace Improvement Committee, affording Golden and others on the front lines the means to address issues like turnover, efficiency, and quality. 
The agreement also mandates a joint health and safety committee, giving workers not only a say in how to properly operate and maintain equipment, but a role in developing emergency plans and input into other aspects of plant safety. Golden said it's a new day, referring to the power of a first contract to level the playing field and afford workers a seat at the table. This, he said, is the law of the land. Tom goes on to say workers who want to band together for better futures often face prolonged and brutal anti-union campaigns from employers hell-bent on holding them down. Como, for example, committed such egregious violations of workers' rights that an administrative law judge at one point ordered company reps to call a plant-wide meeting and read a statement acknowledging their illegal conduct. Solidarity means everything, said Golden, recalling how workers met at bars and cookouts to build the union drive and support one another during management attacks. I know each of us was going to have a better work environment and a living wage, he added, explaining his own commitment to the effort. I have no problem sacrificing for the greater good. I'm a veteran. I sacrifice eight years to go and serve my country. Workers ultimately achieved victory in 2021 when the National Labor Relations Board certified their vote to join the steelworkers, making them the first U.S. tire workers to unionize in more than 40 years. But then, like all union members, they immediately began a new battle at the bargaining table, testing their collective resolve all over again. When bullying fails to stop workers from organizing, many employers simply shift gears and try to thwart bargaining. More than one-third of companies use anti-union attorneys to derail negotiations, and a quarter threaten to close workplaces in an effort to sabotage contract talks, among other abuses. This according to new research by Cornell University. Starbucks' dirty war on baristas, for example, includes starving union leaders of work hours in a bid to make them quit and dragging out negotiations with the aim of gutting solidarity, frustrating workers, and killing the union. Well, Como, the tire plant, bogged down negotiations for two years, balking at raises, nitpicking language, throwing up other roadblocks. But, but... Union activists stayed the course and worked hard to engage new hires, averting the threat that turnover poses to collective strength. Christopher Burks, who served with Golden on the Workers' Bargaining Committee, said, We did not give up, noting that a grievance procedure and other protections from bullying are among the first contract's greatest strengths. Similar concerns have prompted growing numbers of workers across numerous industries to unionize in the wake of the pandemic, and now those organizing victories are generating a wave of first contracts with transformative changes. That is especially evident in the South, where more and more workers are rising up against employers and right-wing politicians who long conspired to oppress them and keep unions out. Nurses at Mission Hospital, Asheville, North Carolina, secured a first contract in 2021 that affords them a long overdue voice on the staffing issues crucial to worker and patient well-being. 
workers at a Coca-Cola consolidated warehouse in Kentucky ratified a first agreement last spring providing a much-needed grievance process and other enhancements. And newly unionized cleaners at Virginia Commonwealth University just negotiated historic pay increases, forcing the school to begin valuing them. You're not getting what you're worth for the job that you do, Burke said of many workers in the South, noting that some companies deliberately locate in the region. Why? To exploit the historically poor wages and low union density. Some people are waking up and not going for that. Just like Bluebird, he added, referring to about 1,400 workers at the Fort Valley, Georgia bus company who voted in May to join the steelworkers and seek better working conditions. Many other workers also want unions and gain a voice on the job, but they need the support that only a long overdue modernization of America's labor laws can provide. And right now, companies on a regular basis obstruct organizing and bargaining. Why? Because it's so easy for them to get away with it. Workers' unfair labor practice charges takes months or even years to resolve. Even then, employers like Como face virtually no penalties for illegally firing workers during union drives or dragging out those talks. Golden and Burks want Congress to pass the Protect the Right to Organize Act, the PRO Act, which would make it easier for workers to exercise their will and impose fines on employers who break the law during union drives. It would also force employers to the negotiating table and impose mandatory arbitration when employers refuse good-faith bargaining for a first contract. And Burks wraps up saying, I think it would finally make the employer respect your rights. Again, this was an op-ed posted by Tom Conway on the Steelworkers website, and today... We are paying tribute to Tom Conway. And this is a segment that we recorded about uh, two years ago where Tom talked about Joe Biden being the most pro-union president he ever worked with. Look, this this administration, to me, is, is like something we've never seen before in this country. And their willingness to reach out to middle-class, working-class America and work out reach out to a unionized working class recognizing that unions and having a labor agreement means you have a better middle class and people live a better life and unions on premium pay 13 14% more in wages and there's some sort of a pension and there's some sort of reliable health care and you have the ability to sit down and collectively bargain in a system that works and has worked well in the country. And so I think Biden is behind this, not because he particularly likes unions, although I think he he sees them. He sees this as an important component of rebuilding a middle class in America and focusing on middle class people rather than the ultra rich and and corporations who are sort of writing the rules. And and so I think they understand they got to rewrite the rules and they got to work with people who are working for a living. And it's such a refreshing change in government. And, um, and every, you know, they have this 
sort of whole of government approach you hear out of the administration. And I do frankly see that personally on a daily basis, whether I'm talking to the Department of Energy or the Department of Transportation or the Department of Defense or, or any one of those agencies, they all have, they're all singing from the same songbook and they're reaching out asking us, all right, what, what do you think we ought to do? How do you think mm-hmm. we ought to handle it? And I mean, it's so uncommon and it's so new. And I think every union member and the, and, and your listenership needs to understand that this is not just theater. This, this administration is actually doing that and working at it and working at it seriously and diligently. I, I, couldn't express it more. This next segment with Tom Conway goes back to June of 2022, and this was in Philadelphia at the AFL-CIO National Convention when uh, Tom nominated Fred Redman as Secretary-Treasurer of the AFL-CIO. My name is Tom Conway. I'm the president of the Steelworkers Union. I'm surrounded by our family today, and we're all so proud to make this nomination of our brother, Fred Redman. This is an amazing story of a man who can trace his ancestry back on both sides, his paternal and maternal families, to slavery, and who can move up through the years, and whose family moves to Chicago, and his dad works jobs sweeping floors and pumping gas. and and building a future for his family. And his mom travels on three buses a day to clean homes for other people. And during that time, they raise their family together. And as a young teenager, Fred and his siblings and his cousins travel back to Mississippi to work on the sharecropper farm that his grandparents work on other people's property and literally pick the field and pick cotton so their grandparents can survive and thrive. And Fred learns work and the value of work and the value of family and the value of labor as, as he's a, a young person. Fred has just been um, so much more than a colleague. I mean, we, we've come up together through the union and really just well-deserving of this opportunity. And he's going to be able to do a tremendous amount of work from this platform together with Liz. So, yeah, it was very proud for us. I had all the Steelworker delegation with me who stood there at the mic, and we made this nomination together. And, you know, we're looking forward to changes in the AFL-CIO. I think this team is, is set to do a lot of good stuff. I mean, I think they have good, clear understandings of the challenges facing the country's labor movement and and the whole way that work is thought of and and um, and how the country seems to have really sort of learned a lot, particularly coming through the pandemic, about who is doing work and who is making the country run and who's just sort of keeping things on the rails every day and and i think um i think we're heading in the right direction in terms of that and how people perceive the value of unions and 
and particularly young people as well. So, yeah, we were thrilled. I, I think labor has to sort of um, do do a better job, do a good job at, at explaining to young people. Uh, there's there's a big shift going on in the economy. The baby boom generation is 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 in large part retiring out, and there's a there's a labor shortage that's out there, both due to this, you know, what they call the Great Resignation. But there are fewer labor market participants, and so this is a time for labor to sort of take advantage of that and tell their story. And explain to people, yeah, really, there is a value in, in collective bargaining and in being able to, together, talk to your employer about your arrangement at, at work. And, and there's just, um, you know, it's, it's been it's been decades of of just the, the policies of trying to crush unionism and drive down um, people's ability to earn decent living wages. And this resulted in wage stagnation in our country. And so there is a a good chance here to turn it around. And and the goal of a million people over 10 years is not unrealistic. And I think it's going to take unions working closer together, not sort of in strife or in a competitive spirit with each other as as much as may have been some past times and forming a strategy going forward about how to reach out to people and get them to see the value of this. So right. I, I, I think she's, you know, on the right track here. So once again, in tribute to Tom Conway, some past segments with Tom here on America's Workforce. To button up this show today, I want to read another comment from Dave McCall, who is now the president of the United Steelworkers. Dave said, from his earliest time making steel to a steady hand leading us through the darkest days of the pandemic, Tom followed two simple guiding principles, the dignity of work and the power of working people. Tom was never afraid of a fight. And thanks to his ingenuity and determination, generations of workers can enjoy better jobs and brighter futures. Rest in peace, Tom Conway. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way employees and a labor management expert on what is now Strike-tober. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.